And uh, then 23 years ago, the Lord led my wife and I to begin Cross Power Ministries. We resigned that church. Things were going incredibly well. And uh, we began Cross Power Ministries. And we, for 23 years now, have been traveling almost every weekend, well, basically all over the country. In three weeks, we're going to be in Connecticut. Two weeks later, we're going to be in Wisconsin. And that's all on weekends, so I can be back to do my daily radio program during the week. So um, we are not retired. But we have been married 53 years. 53. So anyway. If you would, take your Bibles and open them to 1 Kings chapter 17. Would you please? 1 Kings chapter 17. You already know this, there are many common themes in Scripture. And one of the most common themes in all the Word of God is this. God is far more concerned with your character than your comfort. Can I get an amen on that? God is far more concerned about your character than your comfort. But... There is another principle, and that is this. Our fallen nature resists almost every circumstance that God brings into our life to build our character. So we have this constant conflict, the struggle between God's plan for us and our resistance. His desire for us to surrender and conform us to the image of his Son, and our desire... To live in comfort. But I want you to know something right from the very beginning this morning. Folks, you will be tried. You will be tested. Please do not believe those guys on TV that tell you if you send them a few dollars, you'll never have problems, you'll never be sick, your kids will never act up, you'll drive a brand new car, live in a big house. If you just simply speak words of faith and plant a seed, nothing will ever go wrong. That is a lie out of the pit of hell. If you are a born-again believer, I promise you, you will be tested. You will be tried. You will go through the fire. That's why in 1 Peter 4.12 it says, Don't think it's something strange or weird when you go through the fiery trial. It doesn't say if. It says when you go through the fiery trial, don't think it's strange or out of the ordinary. We will spend a great deal of our life in valleys. Now, we love to live on the mountaintop, and if you've noticed, I'm from California, and we used to go up into the California mountains, which, by the way, my brother is stranded in the California mountains because of the snow. He is up there. Anyway, we love to live on the mountaintop, but not much grows up there. Almost everything that's beneficial grows in the valley. But we don't like to live in the valley. And that's why this morning I want to speak to you for a few moments from blessings from the bottom of the barrel. 
blessings from the bottom of the barrel. In 1 Kings chapter 17, would you follow along and allow me to read verses 1 through 16 to get the context? And Elijah the Tishpite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. <coughs> Pardon me. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Now we can't understand the full context until we also look at chapter 16, verse 33. And Ahab made a grove. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God to, of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel that were before him. Elijah is living under the reign of the most evil king Israel had ever known. And Elijah was a constant thorn in the flesh. To Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. Now, before we go any further, I want to make something absolutely clear. Elijah is God's man. Elijah has the hand of God clearly upon him, and we need to understand this. It is because of and not in spite of his obedience that he's in great need. 
We often misunderstand need and times of need and times of trial. We often just automatically assume because of our human nature that if we're in a time of need or trial, God is upset with us. We're out of God's will and he is punishing us. Well, God is not punishing Elijah at all. Elijah is right smack dab in the middle of God's plan. And yet, he has a need. The ultimate purpose of our needs, as I alluded to before, is first to build our character and also to bring God glory. When we have needs, build our character, bring God glory. So I want to give you some simple points to consider. If you have something to take notes on, please do. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. God uses need to draw us to himself. God uses need to draw us to himself. We have two individuals here in our story. First of all, Elijah. There's a drought Why is there a drought? Because Elijah proclaimed the judgment of God. So from a human standpoint, the drought is because of Elijah. But God drives Elijah to this brook. And it is really cool. God commands the ravens to feed him there. You know, birds in the morning, birds in the evening, birds at supper time. And he thought, this is just really cool. I've got this really cool brook here. And the birds, now they were unclean birds. I'll let your pastor uh, tell you the conflict with there. But uh, these birds are bringing him everything he needs. He's sitting in the shade by the brook. And it's just, it's just wonderful. The rest of the nation is suffering, but he's God's man. And he's being taken care of. And then the brook dries up. And he is suffering the same consequences as everyone else. Isn't it true that we often think that because we're followers of Jesus, we're exempt from the stuff going on in the world around us? Listen, we are affected by the evil around us as well. We are not exempt from suffering and trials. So the brook dries up and God commands him, I want you to go to Zarephath. Well, what do we know about Zarephath? Well, first of all, it was Gentile territory, not Jewish. And get this, it was the homeland of Jezebel. It was the homeland of Jezebel. It was about 100 miles away. He had to walk, of course. And God said, I want you to dwell there. But then there's one other thing. The word Zarephath literally means a smelting furnace or a refining place. Has God ever put you in a refining place? Has God ever brought you through a time in your life or your family when it was a burning fire and God put you there to refine you? Well, that's the experience of Elijah. But God sends a widow. A widow. But she, as we will see in a moment, is not 
the likely person that God would normally send. But we learn, of course, God often sends unlikely persons and unlikely situations to teach us and even to meet our needs. So that's Elijah. He is driven to Zarephath. And then we have the widow. Well, she is poorer than poor. She is literally at the bottom of her barrel and she is about to get one more little meal and then she is going to die. Now, this is Gentile territory, so we assume that she is a Gentile as well. And yet it seems, it seems very strongly that even a Gentile in a Gentile city had somehow found the truth of Jehovah God and had a desire to serve him. So forgive me for being repetitious, but it's so important. Elijah's need, the need of the widow, was not a sign of displeasure, but they were both in desperate need of God. Here's the second thing I want you to see. God uses need to reveal himself. God uses need to reveal himself. Two desperate people needed what the other one had. She needed a word from God, and God sent her a prophet. He needed to eat, and so God sent him a poor widow. What an unexpected way to meet his needs And God will often send unexpected ways and means to meet your needs as well. Listen, folks, when you're going through a time of need, please, please do not assume that God is angry with you or that God has abandoned you. Please understand that when we come through times of need, God is drawing us to himself. He's drawing us to himself. Then here's the third thing I want you to see. God uses need to test our faith and our priorities. Got that? God uses need to test our faith and our priorities. Back to the story. Look again at verse 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook I have commanded, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So, everything is fine, everything is wonderful, and then verse 9, the brook has dried up. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And so, Elijah packs up his belongings, walks the hundred miles to Zarephath, and he's looking for a widow. Now, I don't want to read too much into the text here, but I'm kind of assuming that Elijah is assuming she is probably a wealthy widow. She was married to a wealthy man in the town and he's died and left her with all of his fortune. And she's living in a big palace right outside of town. And Elijah can't wait to see what this wealthy woman is going to have for him. And then he meets her. 
Uh huh. Look at verses 11 and 12. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Now I have an overly active imagination. But I could just imagine Elijah comes into town looking for a wealthy widow. He finds his widow and God says, that's her. And he says, hey, I need something to eat. And she says, well, you've come to the wrong place. I am so poor. I have one tiny little bit of meal and a little oil and I'm going to make a little cake. And then my son and I are just going to die. And I could just imagine Elijah going, excuse me, excuse me. I'll, I'll be right back. You, you stay right there. Lord, uh, excuse me. I think we got the wrong widow. Uh, you, did I get the wrong one? Can you give me the address of the wealthy lady? What's going on here, Lord? <laughs> Listen, sometimes we supernaturalize ordinary human beings. Elijah had the same feelings, the same emotions that you and I had. He didn't have some S painted on his chest. And I am certain that he is confused at this point when he finds out that the woman that's supposed to take care of him has nothing to offer. But from this we learn that God will often, folks, listen, God will often bring us to a point of utter despair and doubt. God will bring us there. He will bring us to a place of utter despair and doubt. He will either cause or allow trials in our lives. I mentioned earlier that my wife and I have been married 53 years and God has been so good to us. But you think when you get older, life gets easier. And by now, after 53 years, you would think everything would be just smooth and easy and we could just sail into our golden years. Uh, No. I stand before you this morning And my wife and I are going through, by far, the most difficult trial our family has ever faced. Nothing, nothing, nothing we have ever faced before comes even close. Not even close. I don't want to be secretive. There's a very good chance that my son will spend the rest of his life in prison. And uh, we will know the outcome next month. I never dreamed that we could ever face anything like this. Never dreamed. This is not what I had planned. We have three adopted children. Our son is adopted, but we have 
adopted him at birth and I was going to be the perfect father with a perfect child. And yet that's what we're facing. So I'm not preaching theory to you this morning. I stand before you as a completely crushed and broken man, father. But I'm preaching truth to you this morning. God will often bring us to utter despair and doubt. You've you've heard the old phrase, scrape the bottom of the barrel. You've heard that, right? Well, believe it or not, you can look it up in Webster's. If you don't believe me, check it out. Not right now, later. Webster's Dictionary, bottom of the barrel. Here is the definition. The lowest possible condition. And I didn't know this until I was preparing for this message. But Webster's also describes the bottom of the barrel syndrome. The bottom of the barrel syndrome. When someone reaches the very lowest point in their life and they do not believe they can possibly go lower, lose more. Well, that's where Elijah and this widow are. This is the bottom of the barrel syndrome. Humanly speaking, there's no way out. There is no hope. And it is here at the bottom of the barrel that God tests our faith. It is at the bottom of the barrel when we test the promise, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. By Christ Jesus. It is at the bottom of the barrel when we can truly test whether God's promises are real and true. It's also at the bottom of the barrel when God tests our priorities. Verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but Make me, therefore, a little cake first. What? What kind of a selfish, self-centered, arrogant, egotistical preacher would tell a dying woman, feed me first? I mean, think about that. Think about the ridiculousness of that. But God is using Elijah to test his priorities, but also the priority of this widow. Go and do what you said, but make me a meal first. And in her mind, in her heart, it's not written in the text, but she had to think, who do you think you are? Did you not just hear what I said? I don't have anything. I have enough for a tiny little meal for my son and I, and then we're going to die, and you want me to make you something first? That had to go through her mind. It had to. And yet, God placed within this Gentile widow a faith and a confidence in Jehovah God And in Jehovah God's 
prophet. Think about that. The work that God had done in this woman. God brings us to the bottom of the barrel not only to test our faith, but also to test our priorities. I said there are principles that permeate Scripture. Here's another one. If you want to keep it, give it away. No, no, that's a biblical principle. It's everywhere. If you want to keep it, give it away. Probably the most glaring illustration of that is Abraham and Isaac. That was the promised boy. That was the miraculous child. And not only that, not only did Abraham love that boy with all of his heart. After all, look how many years he waited for him. And then he was born miraculously. But that's not all. Because of the covenant that God made with Abraham, the future of all of God's work on this planet was dependent upon that boy. I will make you a mighty nation. Your descendants shall be like the sand of the sea, the dust of the earth, the stars of the sky. That was all dependent on Isaac. And yet God said, I want you to offer him to me. I don't know that I could have done that. I don't know. But God was testing the priorities of Abraham. And Abraham learned, if you want to keep it, give it away. If you want to keep it, give it away. Don't have time, but we could find illustrations of that all over Scripture. If you hang on to it and cling to it, God may take it away from you. But if you want to keep it, give it away. God will test. You will, from time to time, find yourself at the very bottom of the barrel with family, finances, health. I have four very, very dear, close, personal friends right now that are battling cancer. And it doesn't look good for any of them. It doesn't look good for any of them. 18-year-old boy, son of a pastor on the south side of Columbus is going for scans tomorrow to see if the chemotherapy is shrinking the tumor any. He's been battling with this for almost two years. It's such a rare form of cancer that there's no known chemotherapy that will actually work. And so they're doing experiments on him. That whole family is at the bottom of the barrel but they're trusting God and rejoicing rejoicing but I want you to know something folks when you are at the bottom of your barrel God has a message God has a message look at verse 13 and Elijah said unto her you see it fear not Elijah said unto her, fear not. You ever put your head in a barrel? You ever looked over into a barrel and you've said something? There's kind of an echo, isn't it? Listen to me. 
when you get to the bottom of your barrel physically, spiritually, emotionally, and you are there at the very bottom, I want you to hear something. The Spirit of God says, fear not. Fear not. That's the message that God gives us in the bottom of the barrel. Fear will cripple you. Fear will destroy you. And God says, fear not. But wait, there's more. If you turn in your Bibles in the next 30 seconds, no. Okay. But wait, there's more. Verse 13 again. Elijah said unto her, fear not. And look at this. Go and do. Fear not. Go and do. It doesn't end with just fear not. Immediately he says, go and do. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's provision is dependent upon our obedience and faith. God's provision is dependent upon our obedience and faith. It was not just to say, just don't fear anything. He says, go and do. What I have told you, what God has told you, don't stop. Don't sit in the bottom of the barrel. Find out what God wants you to do, what God wants you to accomplish. Remember when the children of Israel came to the Jordan River? The second time after they had wandered for 40 years, God told the priests to take the ark And lead the way into the promised land. And he said, when the sole of your foot touches the water, the water will part. They could have stood one sixteenth of an inch away from the water for the next 20 years. And the water never would have parted. It parted when they were obedient to God and put their foot in the water. Jericho, God knocked down that mighty wall in a supernatural, miraculous way. But they had to march. They had to march. Go and do. Don't let fear, disappointment, discouragement, trial, don't let any of those things stop you from continuing to do what God has called you to do. Go and do. But then I love this. Look at verse 15. And she went and did. Don't you love that? Go and do. And she went and did. And what was the result? Verse 16. And the barrel of meal wasted not Neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Here's the last point. God uses need to validate his word and bring glory to himself. God uses need to validate his word and bring glory to himself. 
at the bottom of the barrel, there is hope. At the bottom of the barrel, there is the assurance that God's promises are true. And when we come through those bottom-of-the-barrel experiences, then we have the privilege, the opportunity, but also the responsibility to share God's provision with others. That's why I'm here this morning, to tell you that even if you are at the very lowest point of your life, there is hope, there is no need for fear, The promises of God are true. His peace is available whenever we claim it. Never allow suffering to rob you of your joy and never, listen, never waste suffering. You with me? Never waste suffering. Because God intends for us to have victory in that and then to share it with others. I read this story once of a man in a desert and he was desperately thirsty. He had traveled and traveled and traveled and felt that if he could not find water very soon, he was going to die. And up on a rise in the sand, he saw a shack. At first, he thought it might be a mirage, but he rushed to it, and sure enough, it was a shack. And he opened the door of the shack, and inside was a water pump. And he thought, this is just what I need. And just above the pump on a shelf was a glass of water. And it had a sign Please take the glass of water and prime the pump. And then, when you have drank all that you need, fill the glass of water for the next traveler. And he has a life-changing, life-altering decision to make. He certainly can drink the glass of water. And he knows that he will be sustained. But what if he pours the water into the pump and it doesn't work? What if it doesn't prime? Does he really care about the next person coming or just himself? And so agonizingly, he takes his shaky hand, gets the glass, moves it to his mouth briefly, and then thinks of the next person and pours it into the well and begins pumping like crazy. And wonderful, cool, refreshing, life-giving water came out of the pump and he drank all that he needed. But before he left the shack, he filled the glass and put it on the shelf again. I'm trying to share my glass with you this morning and when you go through the bottom of your barrel I pray that you will do it victoriously and you will share that glass of God's peace and strength with those around you Father I thank you I praise you for who you are
What a mighty, mighty God we serve. A God of provision, a God of might, but a God who also tries us and tests us. But I thank you, Lord, that at the bottom of the barrel we hear, fear not. Now, Go and do. And I pray that we would go and do what God has called us to do. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And I pray this morning that you would minister to those who are at the bottom of their barrel or they're on their way. May they hear those words, fear not. Meet them where they are, Father. And give them victory. And then may they share that victory with others. I pray this morning for those that are struggling with things in their life that are yet unsurrendered. And you have brought circumstances into their life to bring them to a deeper surrender at the cross. I pray that today they might, like the old song says, surrender all. Whatever they're struggling with, they're having trouble giving a child to God, a husband, a father, a parent. They're having trouble surrendering those things to a sovereign God. I pray today, Father. In fact, right now, sitting in their pew, I pray that they would surrender completely and totally to you. Right now. Just as we wait for a moment, I pray that we would deal with God. Thank you, Father, that you meet us at the bottom of the barrel. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for allowing me to be here. I meant to say this before.